You are listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Thinking Talmudist Podcast. Whether one should come on to the charity of the community when they are in need. If he has two meals, if he has three meals, if he has four meals, etc., etc., and we went into all of that last week. Now the Talmud's going to continue and go go a little bit further into this. Uh, and again, we are on page 118a in Tractate Shabbat. V'hoditnan, and in regard to that which we learned in the first segment of the Mishnah, ein pochasin la'ani ha'over mimokom l'mokom. We do not give a poor man who travels from place to place, all right, if one is passing through the city, and will depart before nightfall, meaning Saturday night, right after Shabbos, he is leaving. Then a loaf of bread that costs a punyon, uh, when four sa'as of flour cost the sella. Lon, but if he stays, no sinlo parnasaslino, we give him the provisions for night lodging, im shavas, and if he spends the Shabbos in the city, no Muslim shall sudos, we give him enough to eat for three meals. We see from here that perhaps the opinion of the Mishnah is like Rebbe and not like Rav Chitka. Rav Chitka said you have to give him enough for four meals, not for three meals. So the Gemara replies, Actually, the Mishnah can also follow Rav Chitka that he has one meal for himself with him. Where we say to him, the meal that you have with you, eat. Right? You brought your tuna sandwich. Eat that yourself for one meal, and we're going to give you the other three. The Gemara now asks, But when he departs on Sunday morning, does he depart empty-handed? You're going to take away his one meal. And the other three meals, according to Rav Chitka. And now he's going to leave empty handed. He's not going to have any, any provisions for himself when he departs. The Gemara answers, We provide for him a meal to accompany him when he is ready to leave on Sunday. In the meantime, however, he must use his reserve meal for the Shabbos. Gemara asks, "My parnasas lina." What does it mean? Provisions for night lodging. The Gemara answers, "Amarav Papa, Puria ube sadia, a bed and a pillow, a bed and a pillow." So, well, of course that means a blanket, right? But if, uh, a pillow. Okay. So now, here's here's the thing. We have to understand that our obligation towards others, a poor person who comes to your house, you're obligated kol. Haposhet Yad Notnimlo. The Talmud teaches us that anyone who puts out their hand for assistance, you must give them. You must give them. Doesn't say what you need to give them. It doesn't say how much you need to give them, but you have to give them something. Anybody who stretches out their hand for assistance, you need to give them. Call Haposhet. It doesn't, it doesn't say, oh, only a Jewish a member of the tribe needs to get. No. Anybody who's, who stretches out their hand, you give them. Panhandler as well. I say you cannot. If I needed to give a halachic ruling, my halachic ruling would be do not under any circumstances give them money. You give them 
a, a, a nut bar, you give them a drink, a cold water, do not give them money. That's my opinion. Why? Because they made plenty of bad decisions that got them they made it made sorry they made plenty of bad decisions with money that got them under that bridge giving them more such decisions will probably keep them there right you give them something to eat they'll actually have something to eat right now for lunch or for whatever whatever time of day it is okay so now the gemara begins the the uh, the rabbis taught in abraisa arvis Plates in which one ate Friday night may be washed to eat in them in the morning. So we know that you're not allowed to do creative labor on Shabbos. You're allowed to work on Shabbos. You're not, to, not allowed to do creative labor on Shabbos. Again, the definition of work, anything you serve people at your Shabbos table, that's work. You clean up a Shabbos table, that's work. But creative labor is cooking, is creative you're put, making something into a new existence. You turn on a light, that's creative labor, etc. So now, are you allowed to clean dishes on Shabbos from Friday night to Shabbos morning? Just by the way, very interesting for you to know, okay? I didn't know this till we had a guest at our home many years ago who said that garbage is muktza. You're not allowed to touch garbage. The only reason we are allowed to take out the garbage on Shabbos is because it's disturbing to our Shabbos to have garbage there. But you can't just walk around with, uh, with, with garbage. And even the garbage that's on the table, the only reason you're allowed to take it off the table is because you're about to set a new, a new table for tomorrow morning, for Shabbos day. And the only reason for Shabbos day you're allowed to clean it up is because you need to set it for the afternoon. But we don't clean up the afternoon meal till after Shabbos. It's a very interesting halacha, very interesting. You don't clean up the afternoon meal till after Shabbos. There's no need to clean it off. You're not setting another table yet, right? Okay, so that's another thing. But shachras midichon lechol bahem tzoraim, those in which he ate, the plates in which he ate in the morning, may be washed to eat in them in the afternoon, but and this is what the quote of the b'risa is, and the afternoon meal, he may wash to eat it for the mincha meal. But from the mincha and onward, however, he may no longer wash his plates because they will no longer be needed on Shabbos. Avalkosos v'kitonios v'tzluchios nediach v'holech kol hayom kulo, but cups drinking ladles and pitchers may be washed all day long even after mincha time why because there's no fixed time for drinking people are prone to drink anytime even outside of meals what does this tell us this brisa what does this brisa tell us that how many meals do you have four meals so maybe it's holding so maybe it's holding like Rav Chitka. So the Gemara digresses to discuss the reward for observing three Shabbos meals. Amr Rabbi Shimon ben Pazi. Rabbi Shimon ben Pazi says, Rabbi Shimon, the son of Pazi. Amr Rabbi Shur ben Levi said in the name of Rabbi Shur ben Levi, who said it, Mishum bar kapara, in the name of bar kapara. Again, this is something we quote many, many times, right? We, that we talk about many times when we learn Talmud. The source is very important. It's very important to know who the source is 
that's sharing with you this information. That's why if you collected all of the names of the Talmud that are quoted, just tell it to me. They said, no, 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 no. we want to know who said it. You got to give me a truth. There's no, no anonymous sources in Talmud. Because when you're seeking truth, you need to know the source. When you're seeking falsehood, you give anonymous sources. Because everyone's hiding. Everyone's hiding. It's usually not authentic. Okay, let me explain, let me explain the problem of using hot water. The problem with using hot water is that the hot water gets heated up right. when you use the hot water. You can't cause the... Okay, so now in my house, it's even worse. In my house, we have a tankless water heater. So if you turn on the hot water, you're turning on the machine immediately. That's going to make it, the water hot. That is like a biblical prohibition to turn on the hot water in my house on Shabbos. So if you have a housekeeper who's cleaning the dishes, they can do whatever they want. Then not only that, they can even use the sponges. You're not allowed to use a sponge on Shabbos because a sponge holds the water in, and by using it, you would squeeze it out. You're not allowed to squeeze out liquid on Shabbos. It's one of the 39 prohibitions. There's something which is called grama. It means it's a cause and effect. It's okay, but it's a, a secondary effect. What does that mean? What happens if I, if someone were to turn on a light switch, what are they doing essentially? When they hit that switch, one little touch, what happens? It's creating a circuit, okay? Which according to many opinions, by the way, the problem with turning on lights on Shabbos is not that it's fire, because even these light, these bulbs are all LEDs. Yeah. So it's not fire. You can touch it right now, you won't burn your hand. It's not, it has nothing to do with that. What it has to do is that you turn on the switch, it creates a circuit. That's called bone. That's building. Okay, that's a problem. But, it's a biblical prohibition, right? But, what happens, what happens if I do something else? What happens if I use that hot water and now what happens is that new cold water is coming into that tank and the fire gets turned on and now it starts heating it up. What did I do? I didn't turn on the fire. I used the hot water. But that is a cause. Remember we said it's a cause that created the effect of the fire now turning on. Now it, that, it doesn't turn on automatically. It turns on when the temperature in that in that uh, in that uh, tank gets below a certain temperature. So you triggered the water coming in that later triggered the temperature to fall below a certain degree, right? And now it causes the fire to turn on, which is a tertiary cause to what you did, which is not so problematic on Shabbos. Because you didn't directly cause it. But people still want to refrain from having to have caused that the water comes in, that it cools off the tank, that now turns on the fire. I don't want to do that. Okay? So it, I'll tell you there's another thing. There's something called psikresha. What's psikresha? Psikresha is what happens if 
it's just an example, okay? The, Torah, the Talmud, I'm just giving this as a disclaimer. The Talmud does not make this recommendation. This is just an example so that you understand the idea. Psikruesha means the head, fell, the head came off. What does that mean? The children wanted to play with something. We didn't have what to play with. So he said, let's play with a chicken head. So we, we take off the chicken head. Now they have what to play with. Now what comes as a secondary cause of these kids playing with the head? Is that you killed an animal. Was the, was, was the purpose to kill the animal? No, that wasn't the purpose. The purpose was to have a toy for the kids. You understand? That, that's the example given in the Talmud. Let me ask you a question. If I open up my door to my house and that triggers the alarm system to go uh-huh. front door, right? Did I do that? No, I opened the door because I want to walk out. As a secondary effect, which is called psychratia, right? A secondary effect to triggering the alarm system that now announces that you entered the room or exited the room. Mm-hmm. I didn't do that. My, my, ca- my cause was opening the door to go out. The secondary effect was that it triggered the alarm. That wasn't my intention. Right? So according to halacha, that would not necessarily be problematic. And many people, because you have no way to turn off your alarm system, many people, right, they just use their stuff as, they they use their doors as needed. If If you have the one that makes an announcement, it's probably better to turn that off. But I'm not triggering the alarm. I'm opening the door so I can use the door. The fact that it is triggered by it is not my issue. Something which is pre-assigned. Okay, let me give you an example. These lights here are are uh, connected to the internet. I can schedule a timer for these lights. Okay, so I schedule it before Shabbos, and it's no problem that it operates on Shabbos. How, however, okay, it was pre-scheduled. So, so was- Did you trigger it on Shabbos? You didn't trigger it on Shabbos. I triggered it by scheduling it on Friday before Shabbos to turn on at this time, off at that time, on at this time, off at that time, because I want to have light when I have my Shabbos meal. But I don't need it to be on at 3 o'clock in the morning. So therefore, I'll preset it myself so that it turns on and off at its own. Right. So, so the thing is like this, is that we have to be very careful about that. Because that doesn't mean, well... My intention is just to get to synagogue, not to drive, <laughs> right? We have to be careful about that, right? Right, but, but, but the action is causing a direct effect here of turning on the light. That you're directly, the first thing you're doing when you open that door is turning on the light. The second thing is getting your beverage out. That's very different, okay? So that's why it doesn't work for yeah my intention is to get the orange juice out of the fridge right but that's not what happened the first thing you did was turn on the light the second thing you did was take out your your oranges that's a problem okay so here's the thing i spoke to my rabbi about that and and well, I right 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 because the one of the reasons that you're not allowed to ride a horse on shabbat is because you're going to potentially break a branch off a tree. I'll tell you, I had a friend 
who went, he came to visit Houston, and he said, what can I do? Oh, I'm going to do the Texas thing, and ride a horse, right? Go horseback riding. So he went to ride a horse, and him and his friends, who was really hot, they, they were just, they got together under a tree, you know, because the horses are tall, and they're high up, and it's pretty cool, like, you're right in the tree. And he, like, just held onto a branch and, and cracked it by mistake. And then he realized, wow, that's the law that the Talmud says, right? The reason you can't ride a horse. Now, you know that you can't either swim on Shabbat. You're not allowed to swim on Shabbat. There's a number of reasons. You're not allowed to shower. There are many things that you can't do on Shabbat. So my rabbi said, as, as a takana, riding a horse is not a biblical prohibition. Riding a horse is a rabbinic, uh, uh, a rabbinic enactment so that you don't come to do a biblical prohibition. It's a rabbinic enactment. You have all of these rabbinic enactments like not uh, going on a boat on Shabbos, like not swimming on Shabbos. Yeah. Oh, 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 one second. Well, you're going to come to making a boat, to making a raft. You're going to come to building a raft because while you're at it, you're swimming, you're having such a good time, you're going to build a raft. What? You can't ride a horse because you're going to break a tree. Well, hey, what if you're in a place that has no trees? And what's if you you can't, all of these crazy things that are going to come as a maybe. So my rabbi says, you have to understand. What the rabbis are really telling us is Shabbos is not a weekend. These are things you do on weekend activities. You go with your family on a Sunday and you go to the beach or you go to the, to the lake. What do you do? You go swimming. You go on a boat. You ride a horse. These are vacation-type things. These are weekend-type things. Shabbos isn't weekend. And what the rabbis wanted us to understand is don't make your Shabbos a weekend. Shabbos is a day of holiness. Shabbos is a day of sanctity. Shabbos is a day where we don't try to find things to entertain us. Shabbos is a day where we have solitude with the Almighty. It's a day where we are devoted to our relationship with God. Sunday morning, go and, and ride the ride your bicycle. Bicycle also is prohibited. Why? Because the chain is going to break. You can't play music. because it, These are all things that you do when you're on a weekend. Weekend activities are prohibited on Shabbos. I actually, just so that you know, and I mentioned this previously, and I, I know this might end up one day on a podcast, even though I'm, you know, I'm recording it and it's going to go online probably. I do have special clothes for Shabbat. I have a special jacket for Shabbat, a special suit, and a special t- special ties that I only wear. Even I go to a wedding. I went to a wedding last night. So I wear, you know, Shabbos clothes for that. But there are certain things I don't wear even for a week, for a wedding. I have certain things that it's, it's just for Shabbos. So then, and it, and we're going to learn this soon more about this in the in the Talmud. That you're supposed to have special foods for Shabbos. You have special things that are just for Shabbos. In fact, the halacha also says you're supposed to have special lights for Shabbos. There are certain lights you only turn on. We have certain lights in our house. We only turn on for Shabbos. Special for Shabbos, right? Like the one over the sink, and we have a special one, right? They, it looks different. The house there's a different aura on Shabbos. It's a whole different. Set of rules. I personally have a special gun for Shabbos. As those of you who know, I carry a, a firearm, and I have one which is special for Shabbos. And it's even engraved with a Shabbat Shalom on it, because it's special for Shabbos. Right? That's what we call someone who's Meshuga from Texas. Okay? That's me. Is the Shabbat, exactly. It's my Shabbos gun. It's nicer. It's two-tone. You know, it's a special gun for Shabbos, you know? 
Right. So you have that, you have that, for example, it says, Stam Mishnah, Rabbi Meir. Right. The Talmud says, just a simple, plain Mishnah. I would say Stam means, yeah, ordinary. Just an ordinary Mishnah always is attributed to Rabbi Meir, if it doesn't have a source. So Stam Mishnah, a mere Mishnah is, is Rabbi Meir. Well, see, here's the thing. You're not allowed to carry outside of a confined space that is an eruv, okay? And a roof makes it that now you're in your own domain. So if you're outside of an eruv, that would be problematic, right? So I'll give you an example. Walking from this neighborhood, the Torch Center, Rabbi Yacobian Synagogue, to my neighborhood, this area has its eruv. That area has its own independent eruv. But they're not attached. So I wouldn't be able to walk here on Shabbat with a gun or with anything else, with a toothpick in my mouth, I wouldn't be able to walk here. And I wouldn't be able to walk back there either with any type of uh, possessions on me. No, he cannot. Why why can't he? So firstly is because uh, most likely that any rabbi who says, it's okay, you can do what you want, um, and is probably, probably never even saw the verses in the, in the Torah and probably never studied the Talmud. Let me, I'll give you the story, to, to, okay? Uh, and, uh, is usually punching way above their weight. Okay, way. Okay, they, they, they have no, no, uh, right to say that. Let me give you an example. There was a, a, a dispute after Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, again, just to put it into perspective here, we mentioned it numerous times, was a Torah giant. He finished Talmud over 400 times. He knew every in and out, right? You ever read a book, any book, 400 times? You ever watch a movie 400 times? You did. Which one? The Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments movie? 400 times? How many times did you really watch it? Probably 20. 20 times. And you know probably every line. Imagine if you did watch it 400 times. You would know it inside out, okay? I know, I know. So what happens is, is that um, Rabbi, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein made set a ruling that you cannot make an Eruv that we just mentioned, the aforementioned Eruv, you cannot make the Eruv in New York City. Any place, the five boroughs of New York City cannot ever have an Eruv. Why, Why? Because the Halacha says, the Talmud teaches us, that you can make your own domain except in a city that ha- that is considered a thoroughfare. What's the definition of a thoroughfare? A place that has over 600,000 people traveling through it every day. And New York City has more than 600,000 people, even on our Shabbos, every single day of the week, there are 600,000 people traveling through New York City. Therefore, it's a thoroughfare, and you cannot make a private domain in a city that's a thoroughfare. The pro- one second. The problem is, the problem is, is that New York City isn't its own city of Brooklyn and its own city of Manhattan. They're all part of one city. That's a problem. Now, if they all broke off to become their own cities, then it wouldn't be a problem. You can make Brooklyn its own city and you can make an Arab. But that's not the way it was, it was set up. The way it is, is they're all boroughs of one city. That makes it very problematic. Right? So one thing, Shabbat Moshe Feinstein made a set of ruling that you cannot 
have an air of a New York City. Period, point blank, it's done. After Rabbi Moshe Feinstein passed away, a group of rabbis got together and said, you know, maybe we can discuss overturning Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein's ruling. And they gave specific reasons and everyone gave their argument. And they, each argument was refuted. And one rabbi gets up and he says, uh, with all due respect to Rabbi Feinstein, Rabbi Feinstein is a rabbi and I'm a rabbi. He said it's prohibited and I say it's permitted. So one of the rabbis got up, obviously not too happy with this line of thinking. He says, with all due respect, would you be able to say how many pages there are in the tractate of Eruvin that discusses the laws of Eruv? And here this, quote, rabbi is dumbfounded and has no idea how many pages. He says, how dare you put yourself in the same category as Rabbi Feinstein? Rabbi Feinstein learned the tractate of Eruvin over 400 times. He was, a, was not a lightweight. He was the greatest rabbi of a century. And you're calling yourself a rabbi, comparing yourself to Rabbi Feinstein? He think, said, I think it's fair to say that he was, he, you guys are not in the same ballpark, okay? And therefore, that's pretty solid, huh? The Torah says, and if we were lucky here, I'll be able to point it out very, very quickly here, hopefully where the Torah says that you have to follow the teachings and the rulings of the rabbis. The Torah says that. Now, we have to understand who gives one the authority to be a rabbi. Who gives one the authority to just be, oh, I declare myself, I right? So it, it, that's not such a simple thing. In order to be an ordained rabbi, you need to have a consecrated by another rabbi, right? Where he says... Well, so again, you have to have a bona fide rabbi give a bona fide rabbi a thing. Now, what, what, what's that? Well, everyone should have to. The question is what the standards are. Um, and the standard in, in what the halacha teaches us is that you have to be proficient in three different areas of Jewish law. The traditional areas of Jewish law are the laws of kosher. Okay, and the laws of kosher are the laws of milk and meat, which is one important. Another area of, of, of laws of kosher uh, is laws of taruvos, which is mixtures. So what happens if, uh, what happens, tell me the following, okay? What would happen if you had 60 cans of tuna? 60 different cans of tuna. And all the wrappers were taken off. Someone comes there takes out a random can, throws it out, takes a can of pork, puts it in the group, and now it doesn't either have its label, and now you have no idea which one is the pork one. How do you know, how do you resolve this, this, this challenge, right? So there are different things of things, something which is a moist, a, mo- a, a liquid versus something which is a solid, et cetera, et cetera. There are many, it's, there's many, many laws that are involved with this. And it's not a simple thing. But this is something that you need to be proficient in these areas in order to be called a rabbi. Another area is the laws of blood. Blood, if you find blood in a an egg, right? The, all those laws are very complicated laws. Um, not complicated, but they're, they're, they're detailed. 
And you need to know that. There are others who can get smich on the laws of Shabbos. You can get smich on the laws of family purity. There are law, you can get smich on, right? But you need to be proficient and tested in three areas. If a rabbi decides that you are proficient enough in those areas, you can ordain another rabbi. And an individual rabbi can do it. The problem is, is that today in many circles, I'm not going to specify, either people are not properly ordained, period, or the standards are so low that it's inexcusably incompetent. So you have many times, you can ask a rabbi a law and they'll be like, "Uh, well, you know, and they'll just give you an answer, but that's not what the halacha says. I'll give you an example. I once went to a rabbi and asked him a question. And I knew the answer to the question. I wasn't trying to test them, but I just didn't want to rely on my own ruling. As a rabbi, I don't want to rule for myself on my own matters. I go to another rabbi to get a second opinion. So I went to a rabbi, and the rabbi says, well, nah, it's not good. Now, it's easy for anybody to say it's not good. Just throw it out, and that's it. So I brought, I brought him a challenge to it because I knew the halacha, I knew the law, and I brought him a challenge to it. And he says, oh, well, I guess you're right. Right? And that was the last time I ever asked that person a question because, because it's not a chachma. It's not a, 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 it's not a smart thing. It's not the right thing for someone to just say, well, let's stay safe and then say no. That's not that the Torah doesn't want you to suffer. You can say no to anything. You know what? On Shabbos, you can't do anything. You got to stay like this, right? And, and and tie yourself up to a chair because you can't. Well, what's going to happen if that that that's not the way it works? The Torah was given to us to enjoy and to maximize life, not to limit life. And just I don't know the answer, so it's pro- prohibited. My wife and I get at this all the time. Right, we get into this argument where something would come up on Shabbos, and my wife will immediately say, "Oh no, you can't do that." I'm like, "Why not?" Says, "Everything's permitted." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." We have this argument. My wife is like, she, she, she she's the one who's more religious. But either way, so, so. I'm sorry, she's the one who's more religious, well, right? I'm the one who's always more lenient. Uh, I, I always take Sahava side in anything. You should take Sahava side in anything. But uh, but people would come. People come to me and ask me a question. Well, I'll base it on my knowledge of the halacha. If I'm not proficient, I will tell them that. I'll say, I'm going to have to research that. Someone asked me a question just this week. And it was, it was a complicated question. I didn't know the answer. I said, you know what? It's a very good question. I don't know the answer. I'll have to get back to you. I'll, I'll, I'll do my research and, and, and get back to you. So it's... Uh, it's uh, it's better to say I don't know than to give the wrong answer. And to say it's not good when it is good is the wrong answer. Or to say that it is good when it's not good is not either a good answer. It's the wrong answer. Yes. Well, so, so the, if a rabbi gets up and says uh, at his sermon that he can't wait to go home and eat his bacon or, or, or what? Shrimp? Well, so I think it's, I think it's a violation. I think it's a, I think it's a violation of his dignity. I think it's a violation of his dignity. Look, I would never count such a person as a rabbi. And the reason I wouldn't is because what do they stand for? What is a rabbi? You're representing the Torah. If you don't represent the Torah, then don't call yourself a rabbi. No one's, I'm not criticizing him for eating what he eats, but I wouldn't call him a rabbi because he doesn't dignify the Torah and he doesn't follow the ordinances of the Torah.
But how can someone be a rabbi and not know how to put on tefillin? I mean, that it's like, it just doesn't make any sense. It just doesn't make any sense. What? And you know what? It's probably not even his fault. But who ordained him? How do you ordain a rabbi who doesn't know how to put on tefillin? That's tragic. That's tragic. Again, I'm not here. To, I'm not here. I don't believe. I don't believe in any labels. I don't believe in orthodoxy. I don't believe in reform or conservative or reconstruction. I believe they're all baloney. I think every individual has to be knowledgeable, whether they're a rabbi or not a rabbi. I think we all have the obligations of the Torah, notwithstanding uh, what membership we have or who we affiliate with. The Torah doesn't say, "Oh, you're reformed Jew, you don't need to do this. You're a conservative Jew, you don't need to do that." You're. Uh, it's, it's, that's nonsense. Every Jew has their own responsibility to the Torah as an individual, regardless of your background, regardless of who, what you, you know, what your affiliation is. And that's, that's nonsense. So I think overall, my, I think it's tragic that any Jew doesn't know how to put on a tefillin. I think it's tragic for any Jew. Uh, the laws of tefillin are not just for Orthodox Jews and they're not just for, for observant people. They, the laws of the Torah are for everyone. It's everyone's. And it, that, and we talked about this, by the way. If you want a great podcast or video about this, we talked. We had a a, a two week series. Next week, we could, this Sunday, we're going to do the third part on a world of pleasure. The Torah's entire purpose is to give us pleasure. So the things that are prohibited, it's like you go to a water park and they say, "Don't jump off the balcony because you're going to break your head." Right? Well, that's why are you giving me so many rules. Why are you giving me so many rules? I just came here to enjoy myself. I'm at an amusement park. Why are you telling me don't walk in front of the roller coaster? <laughs> right? Why are you telling me that? You're making me li- limited. You're taking away my opportunity for pleasure. Well, in the spiritual realm, pork is a block to your spiritual connection to the Almighty. So yeah, the Torah is going to say, the Torah is going to prohibit us, or prohibit us, not because of trigonosis, and not because of whatever the, these people are saying, that was back then. Oh, back then, there was trigonosis and there was a... Really, give me a break. Big, give me a break. But that's such trash. It's such trash for someone to say that. Because the Torah says so. Because it's going to... Well, that, that's the symbol of a kosher, non-kosher kosher animal. The Torah says, do not, because it will defile your soul. That's why. It will defile your soul, and you won't be able to take in the spiritual vibes that are required to connect on the highest level and to and to fulfill yourself and maximize pleasure in this world. There are certain things, right? You know what? When you go to a doctor for a, cer- for a certain type of checkup, not to mention be mentioned here, they say, don't eat this and don't eat that. Only drink this and only drink that. Excuse me? Who are you to tell me what to do with my own body, right? My body, my choice. Well... Guess what? If you want this test to work right, we need you to follow certain rules. If you want certain connection with the Almighty, you have to follow certain rules, which now helps us understand why men and women have different laws that apply to them. Because I think everyone on planet Earth would agree that men and women are uniquely different, not only physically, but also spiritually. Who's more spiritual, men or women? Women. Women. Hands down, women are more spiritual. That's why they're required to less laws in the Torah because they don't need to have redundancy of the spiritual connection. Exactly. Women are not, are not obligated to time-bound laws. They do have pace. Everyone? Yeah. What does paya mean? 
What does paya mean? Paya doesn't mean lo- long curly payas. That's not what it means. Yeah, no. Yeah. Payas means the corner of your head. There's a law called paya, which is the corner of your field. Corner. Paya means corner. The corner of your head cannot be cut. It has nothing to do with the curls. The reason they do curls is because they want to take that mitzvah up a notch, where they say, not only we're not going to cut it, we're going to try to make it beautiful. For them, they think that that's beautiful, right? For me, it would be a little mockery if I started walking around with, with, with curly pay. Yes, yeah. you have payas. You're fulfilling a biblical commandment. Every single, you are a spiritual billionaire because every single day of your life that you had, you're... Well, can I get it up here? Well, that's a good question. You, you know what? So you have to select it, copy, paste. Take your mouse... Copy it and paste it. There you go. Oh, okay. Do you know that there are, there are actually groups that that are, were, were identified in Mexico? I actually met one of those people where he told me that they had a tradition that every Friday night they would light, the women would light candles in the closet. They have no idea why, but they do it every single Friday night at sunset. Right? Where is it? It comes from the Muranos. The Muranos, when they were running away from Spain, they had fear of being uh, being caught, so they would light the candles in the closet, not knowing. Now these people didn't know, and they were converted. There was an entire community that converted to Judaism because it was it was made pretty clear. Now why why do they need to be converted? Because we don't know. So because we have the doubt, we don't have the direct link to the Jewish ancestors. We do something which is called gerut lechumra. A stringency-based conversion. That means they don't need a conversion per se, but we do it just in case their link was flawed at some point. So we do it. Now, we have many cases like this where I've had people who are 100% confident that they're Jewish, and we don't doubt it ever, ever. But when we got into a a whole uh, conversation about it, this is two, three, four, five years after they were, you know, involved in learning and growing. And, you know, I said, you know, I just found out that my great-grandmother was adopted. My maternal great-grandmother was adopted. And it gets to the whole question. What do you mean she was adopted? Was she adopted from a Jewish family, from a non-Jewish family, et cetera, et cetera. So they did. He, he went through a, again, again, a stringency conversion just in case. What does it? What does it hurt? You go d- dunk into the water, and uh, and now you're guaranteed, guaranteed. You're kosher. I can tell you, you're 100 percent Jewish. Okay, not a question. All right, my dear friends, have an amazing Shabbos. Thank you so much. I like. I appreciate the robust conversation, and I actually need to run to another meeting. So that's why I'm going to have to cut it short. Not short. We're over time already. But all right, everybody, have a great Shabbos.